imagine that the things that you think create the things that happen to you. It sounds maybe absurd to some people. It's almost, it's almost scary to think that how we think and how we feel affects the physical outcome of our lives, but it's true. What you spend your time thinking on creates the things that actually happen to you. At once, it both sounds obvious and absurd. Welcome to the New Wave Entrepreneur, where we dive headfirst into Web 3.0, personal sovereignty, spirituality, and psychology. These conversations are unfiltered access to brilliant minds and actionable advice that will prepare you for the rapidly changing world. So jump in. The water is warm and the tide is rising. Hi, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of The New Wave Entrepreneur. Daniel DiPiazza checking in with you here. So happy to have you. And we have a, a really cool throwback Thursday for you today. You know, we've been talking a lot about your reality and how your thoughts shape your reality. And we've had several guests on, like Dr. Brett Jones, who are talking about uh, this very concept. And today I thought, wouldn't it be great to just lace you with some gems on what I call invisible structures? Invisible structures are psychological concepts that we all hold in our minds, unbeknownst to our conscious awareness that shape the way that we perceive in the world, perceive the world, and therefore shape the way that we move and act in the world. They're very important because it's almost like a sliding glass door in a house. You don't really see it until you notice it's there. And then you can watch that you don't hit it, hit it or run into it. You know, these are invisible structures that hold up our reality in some ways, but also can block us. They say, block your blessings. So these, once recognized, can uh, very easily be moved out of the way to create more possibility or perhaps even used to your advantage when uh, when the time is right. And so I hope that you enjoy today's episode of New Wave Entrepreneur. And by the way, if you haven't checked out newwaveentrepreneur.com, what are you doing? This is where we have all the updates on the things that I'm doing. For instance, the, uh, the event that I'm hosting in Tucson, Arizona on March 26th with Dr. Brett Jones, Soul Revival, as well as other events I'm hosting workshops, all these different things. I just put everything on newwaveentrepreneur.com. Uh, by the way, we also have free things. We have uh, the Surfing the New Wave Guide, which is all about crypto and Web3. We have our top performance or peak performance checklist that you can get on there as well. And lots of different things to keep your mind active. Also, we have the whole archive of the show as well. So check that out. And by the way, if you haven't uh, subscribed to whatever platform you're watching the New Wave Entrepreneur on or listening to it on, please go ahead and do that. It helps us to get the ratings up, to get the reviews up. Leave a comment and review when you, when you have a chance. And that's all I got for you today. Let's jump into this throwback episode. This was uh, recorded in Los Angeles in 2019. So get in your time machine and let's go all the way back. My friends, welcome to Wielding Power. What weird shit have you done lately? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, welcome to the complete manifestation of a 20-year vision of mine since I've been a, a you know small child, always wanted to create my own speaking tour. And it's not without effort, but it's um, you find easy when what you want to do and who you are come into alignment. And so now we're all here. And I appreciate you so much for being here. We have a lot of ground to cover tonight. And we're going to travel millions of miles from where we are now. By the end of the night, you're going to most likely think differently, feel differently, believe differently, and hopefully be a little bit differently. My job here tonight is to set the tone. You know, we have a, a wonderful group of incredible guest speakers here who are going to just absolutely crush it for you. And it's my responsibility to prime you and to really bring you into the space, as it were, to help you understand why we're here and what we're discussing and the importance of tonight. First of all, give it up for the space. Like, this is yeah. fucking awesome, right? <laughs> there, there's an actual submarine in the space. This is, a, um, this is a, uh, an actual float from Burning Man, so it drives. Oh. Who wants to drive it out of here? It's crazy. Um, oh, are we doing microphone? Oh, okay. Wow. So, as we get started, just a quick little preface for context. As you guys know, I'm working on a new book. And when I say working, I mean hardly writing at all. But it's the goal to, it's the goal to like I sit there with the cursor, it's blinking, it's blinking. I get out 10 words and I say, great, I work for the day. But there is a new book coming called Wielding Power. And this book is a culmination of the things I've learned over the past decade and the work I've done. And so I guess the way I wanted to begin this evening is to give you some background as to why it was so important for me to have this night, for me to bring you here into this very special space. I recognize everybody that I've that I see right now, I genuinely care about. I genuinely love. I've, you know, we've all of us have had some sort of meaningful interaction, and I can't wait to hear more from every single one of you tonight. We have a lot of great events planned. But would it be okay if I first started by just reading something very personal? As a true millennial, it's I know it's that. I'll give you some context. I died in 2016. It was 10 p.m. and I was at my house getting ready for bed when I got the phone call. My great-grandmother, my grandmother's mother, called me. It's incredible how sensitive human intuition is. The timbre of her voice in the very first syllable, the very first word, communicated to me everything I needed to know before my brain could even begin to parse the information and turn the sounds into intelligible words. Four words to be exact. Your grandmother died tonight. That was apocalypse. And there was absolutely no warning or sign or symptom to let us know she was going to pass. Now, this was the woman who helped raise me, herself a young woman when I was born. And I shut myself in the bathroom, and I felt myself crumble to the floor in a tide of unrestrained emotion. And I felt my heart palpitate in my chest and stop as a searing pain ripped through my entire body. And I experienced the shell of my physical body crack open and become an empty husk as my soul exited like mortal mist from a gaping wound. And I died. And this story isn't about what she meant to me because she meant much more than I have time to or care to explain. And everybody has someone in their life who will evoke this type of feeling when they pass. That's a certainty. And I broke down over the next 18 months. Some would call it healing, <laughs> but if you've ever been in an accident before, you know that some scars can heal ugly. Some injuries leave a permanent reminder of a specific moment or memory you want to forget, but you never will. For instance... When I bend my elbow, I can very clearly remember the first time I got armbarred in a jiu-jitsu tournament. Fucker popped it right out of the socket. Still hurts. Can relate. Now, what I learned from that immeasurably treacherous experience was a very important calibration of my human instrument. See, 
Before that, I thought I'd known pain, but I'd really only known sadness or frustration. I thought I'd known empathy, but I'd really only known sympathy. See, it's only through comparison that we have a reference point for any state. Summer creates the context for winter. Light creates reference for dark. Warmth gives us a framework for cold. And on the meta level, it's the space in between the stars that creates the reference point for the universe as a whole. It's the space between the tones that creates a song. This is easy to overlook, but it's the essence of existence. It's polarity. And this is the Tao. It's represented actually quite perfectly in the yin and yang symbol, which of course is the masculine and the feminine, dark inside of light and its inverse. And my grandmother's death taught me the Tao because it was my first frame of reference from which to view the significance of life honestly. And during that time in which I was completely depleted, my, enemy, my identity was deleted. I tried to find it again, but I couldn't. And no matter what I did, I couldn't generate momentum within myself to engage with anything in a real way. I mean, I was breathing, but that was about it. For two years, I lived a forced existence and I put myself on autopilot while I went inside to hide. I was a functional fragment of a self that no longer existed. You wouldn't have been able to tell that by just watching me on social media. And that's the point. All of this was happening entirely internally, like a movie set with nothing behind the false walls. And it took a tremendous amount of strength and force to maintain this facade, to carry on when everything inside of me had been completely set ablaze. And I spent years at my breaking point. I was absolutely exhausted just by the experience of living. Still, I knew that carrying on this way was not a possibility. I mean, I wasn't going to kill myself because there wasn't any use in beating a dead horse. Can't kill a murder victim twice. I needed something more than strength to get me through this. Something more than force. I knew that if I was to repair myself and to be of any use to those I cared about, I had to go on the search for it. But I had no idea what I was looking for. Turns out I had unwittingly created a contract with myself. I was on the search for power. And indeed, there is a marked difference between strength or force power. What is power? We often think of the word power negatively because we're conditioned to believe it means control over others or manipulation of others against their will. But true power is not about outward expression or performance as much as it is about recognition of source on the inside. Power doesn't move. In contrast to strength, which is only demonstrated in relation to another person or thing, power is secure within itself. Force and strength have to move and flex against others to demonstrate they exist. Power is stationary and intrinsic. It's like gravity. I was on the journey to find my power again, and I began to evolve. And the end of that terrible chapter is where the most recent chapter of my life picks up, which is why you're here today. And that's the reason why Wielding Power exists. So with that, I'm going to share with you, as Dr. Brett Jones might say, some raw and unedited transmissions. You're going to get to see his book later tonight. We got 70 of them or so. And I'm going to share with you basically what I've been working on. And it's not perfect. It's not polished. I didn't intend it to be. I mean, I'm not even off, even off book yet. Is that cool? All right. So let's talk. I mean, it's my fucking party. I'm going to love watching this back. So let's talk. So what is power? What is it? So as I said, oftentimes... We have a negative idea of what power is. A negative connotation kind of surrounds power. We see it as dominating others. But let me posit this to you. Developing your power starts with identifying the things that keep you up at night. The things that you can't stop thinking about, that only you know are causing you pain, that only you know are causing you suffering, and confronting those things head on because you know that those are your biggest opportunities to grow. And it's not easy. It is not easy. It's easy to become strong. Power is a different animal. Lao Tzu has a great quote. He says, knowing others is intelligence. 
knowing yourself, true wisdom. Mastering others is strength. Mastering yourself, true power. The Tao is actually a great book if you haven't read it yet. It's um, just a collection of essentially Chinese proverbs. We think that it was uh, collected by at least one person, but it was probably multiple. It's almost like Shakespeare, but ancient, ancient Chinese. Very, very useful in your journey. I recommend you pick it up. I think the, the best translation I've read is the Stephen Miller translation. So check that out if you can get it. Let's talk about power versus strength. Power is strength plus precision. Strength plus control. Precision with your energy. Being strong is not enough. So you think about a martial artist, for instance. Maybe you think about Bruce Lee and you think about a big bodybuilder. Bodybuilder might be able to go in, lift a ton of weight, a huge demonstration of strength. And it's very impressive. But a martial artist, for instance, Bruce Lee, you can see he can stand in one place and organize his energy to create a one-inch punch that knocks someone back on their feet. It's really the organization of your energy, your physical mental, spiritual, emotional energy that creates power, organized intent from a centered place. You think about sports and martial arts, physicality, it's always finding your stance first, coming into center, getting focused, generating the power. How organized are you? It's worth thinking about. What does it mean to have true power? As you become more powerful, things in your life start to change. You begin to identify and create the circumstances that you want in your life quickly, right? You become less indecisive because you know what you want. And from a place of knowing, you're able to act. If you don't know what you want, you can't organize yourself in a way that's going to allow you to create the actions to go out and get it. You'll feel constantly like you're dispersing yourself, constantly like you're at a loss for what to do next. But you know what to do. Everyone here knows what to do next. But until you organize yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you're not going to be able to achieve that. True power means financial and creative fulfillment. Those who become powerful are able to fulfill themselves financially through their creativity. Now, it doesn't mean that if you haven't figured this out yet, you won't become powerful, but it means that those who do become powerful can create for themselves within, and that reflects in the real world. The greatest creators are powerful. Would you call Pablo Picasso powerful? That's a man of vision. So powerful, in fact, that we still talk about his work, that we still showcase his work. The greatest artist's work lives on because their creativity was so fulfilling that it reverberates through generations. True power means generosity, humility, fairness, equanimity towards others. I mean, again, jujitsu is a great example. Uh, there are people that I roll with who are so powerful that they could literally take my life while they're doing their taxes without a second thought. They don't. That's humility. Power means balance and focus when you're uncertain. Many, 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 many times in your life, you're not going to know what you should do next or even yet what's going to happen to you next. But as you develop your power, the need to know evaporates because you realize it's not about the external circumstances that happen to you. There will be things and challenges that come up that you don't anticipate, that you can't control, but what you control is in here. And from your seat of power, you move forward with the assuredness, with the security, with the strength to know that no matter what life throws at you, you're going to be okay. That's power. It doesn't mean that you're never scared. It means that you know you're going to make it. Bruce Lee has a great quote. He says, circumstances, what circumstances? I create circumstances. How many of us approach life with that approach? Power means the ability to overcome your fear of the past and the future because you're here now. How many of us are still running from things that we're scared of that already happened and we can't let go? Scared of the past? 
Does that make sense? Scared of the future? Does that make sense? You're here now. And from the seat of power, you're no longer caught up in the loop of thinking about things that happened or that will happen because you're here and the actions that you take are in alignment with what you desire, with what you're good at, with what you want, with what's best for you. And you step into that with confidence. And as you develop this power, you will, over time, eventually overcome your fear of death. Big words, heavy, seems a little bit maybe out of left field. And I can say now that I'm not, I'm certainly not looking to die. I'm not crossing the street at weird times. I'm not like doing jumping jacks on the roof, you know, but if I were to die today, it would be okay because what I'm doing right now feels exactly right. And that's where I draw from. When you're at odds with what you're doing on a daily basis and you don't feel secure in your day-to-day state of being, you'll always be scared to die because so many things have been left undone, unsaid, unheard, unfelt, leads to a fractured self. How many can relate to that? Yeah. So here's what I think. I think you're not just your body. I think you're not just your mind. You are an individual spirit learning and evolving through a rigorous training called everyday life. How rigorous is it though? (laughs) Quite. And your perspective is one frame of reference for the universal consciousness recognizing itself. Doesn't it sound blasphemous to some to say that? You are God recognizing itself. And every single person in here is both an individual and a piece of the whole. It's literally impossible for you to be separate from your creator because where do you think you came from? You didn't just drop on here on earth like a baby in a diaper already saying, why am I here? You literally grew from the planet. (laughs) Your parents spit you out. They grew from the same place. You're made of the same materials. You're the same. How much more interesting would life be if you looked at your challenges as a rigorous training designed to prepare you for what comes next, even if it's quite rigorous at times? See, power allows you to take away the anxiety and step into a greater vision for yourself. And it starts in the mind. How many of us here are into meditation? Yeah? Oh, you freaks. You freaks. I got the right people. So let's talk about the power of the mind. Drake says the power of the mind is not a joke. It's true. So here's a high thought for you. The brain is the only organ that's named itself. And it named every other organ. That's fucked up, right? Here's an interesting quote that I ran across. Mind is the master power that molds and makes. And man is mind, and evermore he takes the tool of thought, and shaping what he wills, brings forth a thousand joys, a thousand ills. He thinks in secret, and it comes to pass. Environment is but his looking glass. It's James Allen. He thinks in secret, and it comes to pass. Environment is but his looking glass. Anybody have an idea of what that means? Just want to call it out. What does that, what does that mean? Environment is but his looking glass. A reflection, yeah. Anything else? It's a filter. Yeah, I mean... Imagine that the things that you think create the things that happen to you. It sounds maybe absurd to some people. It's almost, it's almost scary to think that how we think and how we feel affects the physical outcome of our lives, but it's true. What you spend your time thinking on creates the things that actually happen to you. At once, it both sounds obvious and absurd. Are you even monitoring what you're thinking about? Are you thinking about what you're thinking about? Or are the thoughts just running through your head without any filter? Tracy Goss said, power is determined by the speed with which you can decide something is possible and move that possibility to reality. Whoa. So that basically means that the mind is the sum total of all your conscious thoughts and emotions inside the context of your 
your subconscious, essentially. All of us go through different experiences in our lives that color the way that we perceive and understand things. And that's why two people can see or feel or experience the same event and have a different interpretation of it. That's why our realities are all slightly different and why we're all individual perspectives of a universal awareness. But you, as a conscious being, as a conscious creator, have the ability to develop the power of your mind. You have control over that. Sometimes it might not feel like that, but you are the conductor. And as you begin to develop the power of your mind, the invisible web of cause and effect, of action and reaction, of emotion and action become more clear. You start realizing why you're doing things. There are layers to this shit. There are levels to this shit. And once you think you peel back one layer of the onion, another one exposes itself. And you start to really understand why you do things. And that's when the light bulbs start clicking. And as you develop the power of your mind, you start to identify cycles and you catch yourself. You catch yourself and you realize how susceptible you are to false perceptions. Anybody at one point believe something and then learn that it wasn't true and understand how deeply they were caught in a lie? Yeah, happens all the time. And if you don't realize it, it just means that you haven't reached the level of awareness where you can see the things that aren't true in your life. As you develop the power of your mind, you're no longer afraid to prove yourself wrong when you get new information. Now, this is a very important part of learning to separate and differentiate from your ego. A lot of people will say you need to kill the ego, shed the ego. I think the ego has definitely its usefulness, its, its, its potential. There is benefit to it. And we need that. It's just, it's a part of us. But we have to be able to recognize when that's taking the driver's seat and when it's also giving us maybe a false perception of who we are and what we're capable of. Most of humanity walks around blind to our own addictions and afflictions. Now listen to this. If we can't diagnose ourselves, we can't prescribe the medicine. I'll say that again. If we can't diagnose ourselves, we can't prescribe the medicine and we can't heal. Every single person in here is their own healer. And if you can't diagnose what's going on up here, you won't be able to fix it. So there's a level of perception that needs to come into play where you can understand what's going on so that you can make the changes necessary. Self-awareness then leads to self-regulation. You can't regulate unless you know what's going on. You know, it's like a thermostat. If you can't sense what temperature it is, you can't change the temperature. So tools for this, I mean, this is kind of what tonight's about. I'm giving you the orders, the overview. But there are a lot of tools for this, you know, meditation, breath work, plant medicine. Hard physical training is another great example of being able to unlock what's up here. When you push yourself to the limit physically, you will separate from the ego because you'll realize where you're lying to yourself. Morgan knows this. Push yourself. And as you start to become more aware, metacognition comes into play. Metacognition, thinking about what you're thinking about, which is the reason for meditation. Meditation, as you develop it as a practice, separates you from your emotions. And you start to have a bit of a third-person perspective on your life, which is quite useful. I mean, can think of a million examples of this. The other day, I was, uh, I have this thing where, you know, if, if I lose something that, like an object or something, I get obsessed over it until I find it again. Like, where is my this? I can't do this without my that, you know? <laughs> Insert the blank, you know? I don't know, but I can't leave the house without it, even if it's something simple. Like, I, you know, it could, anyway, so I was looking for, <laughs> I could, there's a whole list. The other day, I was looking for my camera lens 
uh, lens on the camera. I didn't even need to use it that day, but just the thought that it wasn't where I put it down was bugging the fuck out of me. And I couldn't leave the house without it. And I was starting to get agitated. I was starting to get sweaty. The hairs on my neck were starting to pick up. I'm like, where is that lens? I need to find it. And of course, like I had a million other more important, relevant, real things to do that day. And I just, you know, it was starting to agitate me. And then I had a thought. I thought, Daniel's getting agitated. And just the perspective of looking at myself from that third person saying, oh, why is he acting like that? And separate myself just for that minute to have a space in between what I was thinking and how I was feeling allowed me to let the pressure out. And even that is a simple example of what happens as you develop the power of your mind. It becomes easier to walk through life with calm and with ease and with security because you're no longer being pulled by your emotions and thoughts. You're the conductor. Now, you're still going to feel and observe emotions, but you're not committed to living inside of them. How many of us live inside of emotions for days or weeks or months and don't even realize it? We just wake up mad. You're living in that frequency. What is that doing to everything around you when you live inside of that frequency? You're not anger. Anger is something you're feeling. But if you identify with the anger as you, then you can't leave it. And anger, fear, guilt, shame, all the things. You know? Take note of this. When the story you live and the story you tell yourself about your life come into alignment, that creates a brilliant resonance that allows energy and opportunity into your life. When the story you live and the story you tell yourself about your life are the same thing, opportunities open up. Why? Because it takes energy to lie to yourself. Ow! Damn! Snapping. So think about like this. I was talking to Sarah about this the other night. Think about, you know, you're in the pool and you're, you're having a good time and your friend throws you a beach ball and you hold it under the water. That's cool. Friend throws you another ball. You hold it under the water. That's cool. You can hold those down, but now your hands are full. Now, if they were to throw you another beach ball, now you're struggling. Three beach balls, four, five, six. Imagine these are the problems, the inconsistencies, the lies that you tell yourself. And as you go throughout your life, now you have 45 beach balls you're trying to hold under the water and they keep popping up. It's not consistent. It takes energy. It's tiring. It's maddening. And that's what we're doing to ourselves when we don't match up what we say in our heads with what we do in the real world. And that, my friends, is what alignment really is. It's not a woo-woo thing where like, you know, a meteor is going to hit your house and I'm in alignment now. No, it's you acting as you actually think about yourself. And of course, if you don't think highly of yourself, it's working on yourself to develop and improve that perspective so that the person you're being and the person that you feel that you are become the same. And when you free up the energy that's being consumed by the false perceptions of yourself, you have the energy to create a new identity. Ray Dalio talks about this. He talks about radical honesty, radical transparency. And in his context, he's talking about business. But why aren't we more honest with ourselves? What energy could we get back to create new opportunities if we stopped holding on to the things that didn't serve us? That's when the power starts to build. It takes strength to hold on to the lies. It takes power to come into alignment. You see the difference? When you have confidence in yourself, true confidence that comes from a real place, you gain the confidence and trust of others. They can just see it. They just know, right? And through that confidence in yourself, through the confidence that others give to you through that, that's where success comes. And we're not really talking about only money. I mean, you know, we're entrepreneurs in here, that's great. But we're not just talking about monetary success. We're talking about success in your life, feeling like you have a successful life. It starts in here, it radiates out there, 
and it creates all of this. It really kind of starts with this phrase that I've been saying a lot. It's one of my favorites. My word is law. When you consistently commit to something and you don't follow through with it, it subtly communicates to your subconscious that what you say is not important and that you're not going to do it. And it saps energy from you. And it makes it harder to do it the next time because you don't believe yourself. <laughs> you, put something, you, put, you put the gym on your calendar, you skip it every time. So when you put it on your calendar again, it's worthless. It's useless because you know you're not going to do it. And it only strokes your ego to put it on there because it feels like you're doing something, but you're not. My word is law. Let's say you're a smoker. Every month you say, I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to quit smoking. And you don't do it. It drains you of the energy to create that change because you're not following through and matching up your intention with the action. Here's what I say. If you smoke, just continue to smoke yourself absolutely stupid until you're ready to actually quit. <laughs> just, just keep smoking. And when you're actually ready to quit, draw the line and be done with it. Don't say you're going to do it, not do it. Say you're going to do it, not do it over and over and over again to create that negative cycle. Just commit when you're ready. Because most of the time, the reason why we commit to things like that is at first, at least just to please others. Uh, my family says I should quit. The National Board of Health says I should quit. You know, YouTube says I should quit. Vegans say I should quit. Smoking, smoking's vegan, right? Right? But until you're ready, don't. And when you are, stop. So we're talking about developing power. We're talking about what it takes to develop the power of your mind. But I'll tell you this. There are things that stand in the way of us being able to fully develop that power. And these are called invisible structures. And this is really relevant to tonight because as we talk more about some of the transcendental and the, the metaphysical and the psychedelic and some of the weirder shit tonight, there are real barriers in the way to us becoming that biggest version of ourselves. And some of those things that we'll talk about tonight do help you to see these invisible structures more clearly, but you don't have to depend on the psychedelics to see your inconsistencies. You can begin to look at those things now and use these tools, the meditation, the breath work, the medicine, all the training to enhance your perception of those things and to accelerate your growth. But you don't need those things. You have what you need inside of you. So let's talk about what you're actually looking for in this minefield. Invisible structures that rule our lives. So invisible structures are mental and emotional structures that keep us focused on things outside of ourselves. Anyone have problems staying focused on things outside of ourselves? I do. And when we shed these structures, or at least recognize and realize them, we gain power. But how? How do we recognize them? First, identify them. There are three. The first, what are called paradigms. Paradigms are the broadest of the structures, and they deal with beliefs. They're pendulums. They're a little bit more specific, and they deal with our emotions. Then there are programs, and they're the most granular. They deal with our behaviors. Paradigms are basically cognitive frameworks of mutually held beliefs shared by a culture or a group of people. These are the invisible lines, the invisible box that we stay inside and never question. The line that we're afraid to cross, but sometimes don't even recognize that we're scared of. A lot of times these come up into our lives as should or should not, right? So for instance, what are some examples of should or should not? You should go to college. You should get married by 35, you should have a baby, you should buy a house, um, you shouldn't smoke, you, you, know, you shouldn't move from your, from your hometown. Anyone recognize these in our lives, things we should and shouldn't do? A lot of times we don't question these things. And 
You know, the crazy thing about paradigms is that they're so they're so thin sometimes. The line is so thin that we just don't even realize that they're happening. There's one paradigm. It's called the universal human paradigm, the UHP. It's called a master paradigm. And this is the subtlest of subtexts in our lives that slips right in there and ingrains itself in every human's belief system. And the universal human paradigm says this. It says that there's a way things should be. And when things are that way, everything is okay. All is right with the world. But when things aren't that way, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with them out there. There's something wrong with it, the situation that we're in. And of course, this belief system leads to a lot of suffering. So for instance, my grandmother shouldn't have died. I shouldn't have gotten cancer. I shouldn't have gotten a divorce. Uh, I should have been happier by 40. These are things that we believe that as part of the human hu- universal human paradigm, we believe must be true because there's a way things should be. And by playing into this game, it confines us to a very narrow view of the world where we only survive if things work out as they should. And so we're constantly in survival because things have to work out. And the UHP traps us in the known and it denies us the impossible. When there's a way that things must happen, we can't generate new possibilities because we're stuck. And we end up running our lives against an algorithm of should or should not. But according to who? Should according to who? Who said that? Who said things should work out the way you think they should work out? You know, you look at you look at a war, for instance. One side clearly thinks it should end one way. The other side clearly thinks it should end the other way. Who's to say who's right? No one really likes to hear that because we all have a very deeply embedded emotion around the way things should go. But this is a paradigm even still. So how do you escape this paradigm? I mean, if it's all around us, if it's so ingrained in us, what do you do? Three declarations. Three declarations. The first declaration is what's possible is what I say is possible. What's possible is what I say is possible. The second, I am the stand that I take. How many of us take a stand for ourselves? <laughs> we have so many polarizing stances and stands for others or other organizations and other people, and we don't take a stand for ourselves. And this goes back to my word is law. If you don't take a stand for, our, for yourself, you can't create a new possibility because you fall over at the slightest chance of challenge or hurt or pain or fear. You just flop over and give into it. I am the stand I take. When you take a stand, that is who you are being. And it's the same thing as coming into alignment. When who you're being on the outside and who you're being on the inside connects, that creates possibility. You are the stand you take. Someone could say, I'm not racist. I just don't want black people in here. Well, if you don't want black people in here, then you are the stand you take. It's the same thing. You know what I'm saying? The third declaration that you make is there's no such thing as should or shouldn't. And this one hurts. It hurts because there are a lot of things that you don't feel should happen to you or you feel shouldn't have happened to you and they have anyway. And you have to be okay with the fact that there's no way that situation was supposed to turn out for any situation. And once you internalize that and you really start to accept that, it doesn't always make loss or hardship easier, but it allows you to move more freely without constantly being stuck in the loop of how things should be. And that's the first invisible structure. That's the belief level. Those are paradigms. You starting to resonate with some of this stuff? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Second layer of the God, that face paint's fucking killing me. I love him. Second invisible structure: pendulums. Okay, pendulums are invisible structures created by a group of people thinking or feeling the same way. 
They play on human emotions to draw energy and trap people in their web. A lot of times pendulums seem to take on a life of their own. So if you think about like the mob mentality, or if you ever go to like a a soccer game in Europe, that's a pendulum. I mean, people are thinking and feeling the exact same thing and it's a lot of energy. It's a real thing. It's almost as if pendulums are autonomous and it can seem like that sometimes. And there is a, a real a real fact that sometimes the emotion can spin out of control and what an individual might want may not be what the group ends up doing. You know, you get sucked into a group mentality where you want something different, but the group pushes you in a direction where you feel like you can't resist. That's the energy of the pendulum. And think about the strong emotions that popular conversations create. You know, war, religion, politics, media, financial markets public health, social media, holidays, all types of marketing. What do they create? Create a lot of fear, anger, pride. This is almost like the seven deadly sins. Okay. Greed, avarice, pride, sloth, anger, lust, envy. Thank you, grandma. But yeah, fear, anger, pride, lust, jealousy, envy, rage, discontent, lack, separation. These are all created by groupthink. But you don't have to be a victim. It's very hard to sometimes step outside of a pendulum and stand on your own. But it is possible. And one of my favorite examples of this is Muhammad Ali. You know, in the 60s, when the Vietnam War, I almost said the Civil War, when the Vietnam was the 1860s, uh, when the Vietnam War was at its peak, you guys know that Muhammad Ali was drafted and he declined to go. He was at the peak of his career. He obviously was the world heavyweight champion and he had the most to lose. But this is what he had to say in response to the pendulum. Hoshi, my brother, are some darker people, are some poor, hungry people in the mud for big powerful America. And shoot them for what? They never call me nigga. They never lynch me. They never put no dogs away. They never rob me of my nationality, of rape, or kill my mother and father. Well, shoot them for what? I gotta go shoot them. Little no poor little black people, no babies and children. How do I shoot them poor people? I'm just taking me to jail. Ali more than held his own against students who had a far better formal education than he. I'm saying you're talking about me about some draft, and all of you white boys are breaking your neck to get those Swiss on and Canada and London. I'm not going to help nobody get some of my Negroes around. I'm going to die, I'll die now, right? If I do, I'm going to die. If I do, my name is a lot of people, not Kiyotar. What type of human does it take to stand up against the swing of a pendulum as strong as a war? One man, one person. And of course, when he did this, he was universally condemned as unpatriotic. Patriotism is also part of the pendulum. You're not patriotic. Part of the group think. And later, after he was trashed, decades later, people said, oh, what a hero you were. What a freedom fighter. How courageous. And of course, He was standing in his power, knowing, seeing, and feeling that that pendulum was not him, that that's not what he felt. That's not who he was. So he had the mindfulness, the consciousness, the courage, the ability to stand above that even when the stakes were at their highest. And sometimes that's what's going to come down to. Sometimes that's the place you're going to have to go. Could you do that when it counts? Have you fallen in the past? 
and you know, for entrepreneurs, this is this is um, really important because self direction is paramount, right? You know, we can't be pulled in the direction of the average. We can't constantly be sinking to the lowest common denominator. We have to be self sufficient. We have to be self directed. We have to be independent. And there is a bright side. You know, when you recognize the pendulum swinging, you can use it to your advantage. This is really the crux of marketing. When you see that popular emotion or sentiment is running in one direction, you can ethically take advantage of that by putting yourself in the front. That's how the greatest products are created. All the greatest products have a core of innovation and emotion inside of them. They're creative enough to catch the attention and they're on the tip of an emotional wave, right? So when you realize these things are happening, you can put yourself in a position to win, but you have to be aware enough of these things first. And how do you stop the swing of the pendulum? What do you do? Well, one thing you can do is just step outside of it. This is why I don't watch neighborhood news anymore. I mean, I know my mom's watching neighborhood news all the time and she'll call me and she'd be like, there was a shooting in Venice. I'm like, okay, you know, like I'm, I'm talking to you, so obviously I'm fine. <laughs> like it wasn't me that was shot, but the news does this because as we know, if it bleeds, it leads. Watch, watch Nightcrawler with, um, what's his name? Jake Gyllenhaal. That's a crazy movie. That's a fucking good movie. But if it bleeds, it leads. And these types of news outlets prey on our emotions to keep us engaged. There's a new health scare. Your kids are dying at 11. And then you stay up to 11 to watch it. And they're like, three kids died of you know fluoride poisoning from a recalled can of Crest toothpaste. It's fine. you know, Until tomorrow. And these are the pendulum and the cycles that we stay stuck inside. And they, they create the feeling like we need to go take an action that isn't really us. And of course, there will be times when you can't remain when you can't stay outside the pendulum, when you're, you will just be inside of it. And that's when you just have to remain vigilant and constantly ask yourself, is this me? Is what I'm feeling right now actually what I feel? Or is this just something that I've been told to feel, that I've been influenced to feel? And what do I actually want? And start to question more often the things that you actually want and that you actually feel. And so that's the second layer of these invisible structures. It starts with the beliefs it goes to emotions and now programs. And these are the structures of control at the behavioral level. So basically, you know, environment, stimuli, obligation. A lot of times these things sound like whenever I blank, I blank. You know, so uh, whenever I wake up, I brush my teeth. Whenever I go to the gym, I listen to music. Those are all like benign ones. Or, you know, whenever I, um, whenever I go out with friends, I smoke. Uh, whenever, I, um, whenever I drive, I take this route. These are direct cause and effects relationships connected by the invisible threat of habit. You know, So the way that we wake up in the morning, uh, the fact that we're having the same meetings with often the same people. If you go and look through your, your text message threads, a lot of times we have the same 10 people that we're communicating with 90% of the time. You know, Taking the same routes to work. I, I, this really trips me out. When I think about the way that algorithms program us to live our lives in a certain way, I mean, it's beautiful in, in one way, but it's scary in other ways. I mean, because a lot of times we don't make active decisions on how we do things. We're literally adhering to a black box. Even, even okay, so I'm married now. We met on OkCupid. That was 10 years ago. And I put in search criteria and it populated a group of women. And then like from that, I selected a few and I reselected, forget. But but like it populated a certain a certain number within a certain radius and that was the selection. And if I typed in a slightly different criteria or a slightly different, checked a slightly different box, I would have gotten different results. And these are programs. These are algorithms that we're constantly following. These are patterns that we're in. And of course, you know, we have then the same response to those same stimuli. And 
Here's the thing. We've invested meaning into these programs to justify and continue operating within them. So these are like perceived obligations, you know? Um, So for instance, I can't really stop quit drinking alcohol because I always relax on the weekend with my friends and, you know, that's just what we do. Or whenever I come home from work, I'm exhausted and I, you know, turn on the TV and I have a bag of Doritos and that's just what I do. These are perceived obligations, perceived identity. These are programs and habits that we deeply ingrain. So to take back the power from these programs to change our behaviors, first we have to start looking at them. Where are there stagnant patterns in your life? You know, And it really makes sense that we're creating the same results because we're addicted to taking the same actions and we're addicted to the results of those actions. We are addicted to the way that things have always gone because it proves us that we're right. Even if those results aren't good, we're addicted to the way things have always gone because it proves us right. And that makes us feel good. It makes our ego feel good. And so we're stuck in a loop. Now check if you get this. You can be addicted to something you don't like or that doesn't serve you. You can be doing something that you actively don't like and still be addicted to it. And that is the definition of a program. So you need to recognize these things. You need to wake up. So it starts with awareness. And then it becomes creating positive programs because programming, just like a computer, can be used to our benefit. And how do we do that? Charles Duhigg has a great great framework for this. If you read his book, Power of Habit, it starts with cue, routine, reward. A cue is something that sparks your brain, that alerts you that you're going to create the habit. The routine is the habit itself. And the reward is something that you give yourself to solidify that loop. So the example he uses in the book is you want to go running every day. You, the cue is you wake up and you have your running shoes and your running shorts by the end of the bed. So you can't pass those without seeing them and it cues you. Oh yeah, I'm going to have to, I have to run. You feel dumb if you pass that. You've already laid it out for yourself the night before. So you put that on. You do the routine. You do the habit of whatever the run is. And in the book, he gives an example of rewarding himself with a small piece of dark chocolate. And it's not about eating the chocolate. It's about getting the dopamine hit that solidifies the loop of, I had something I wanted to do. I did the routine. Here's the reward. And it solidifies that loop. You know, if you want to go to the gym more often, one loop that I was trying out that worked really well was I said, you know, I need to go to the gym more often, but I don't like really feel like working out right now. I feel lazy. So I made a deal with myself that I was only going to go to the gym and just scan my card. And that would be that would be the routine. I'm going to go there and I said, you don't have to work out. Just go there, scan your card. And if you don't feel like working out, you can leave. But if you go to the gym and you scan your card and you don't work out, you feel dumb. So you end up, you're like, oh, fine. I scanned it. I'll work out for 25 minutes. And by the end of the time, you're sweaty and you're having a good workout and you reward yourself with something. So you can use this program into your advantage. So let's crystallize this. Let's bring it home. Five tenets for you to start developing your power. The first, my word is law. Ingrain this, solidify this, cement this. My word is law. When you say something and you don't follow through, it weakens your ability to continue that in the future. Every time you do recommit to that, it strengthens your ability. It increases your power. The second is no longer being involved with needing to know the outcome of your life. That's what keeps you up at night. What's going to happen? You don't need to know what's going to happen because whatever happens, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And the power that you generate from knowing that what you control is inside of you and not out there allows you to move forward with that ease. The third is stepping out of the average, being committed to not being pulled in the direction of the least common denominator, which is very highly encouraged in society, pulling myself towards the median 
pulling myself towards the median, even unintentionally moving towards the median, understanding that that's what happens and agreeing to not be part of that. The fourth is recognizing the invisible structures and moving beyond them, paradigms, pendulums, programs. And the fifth is, really this is from Stephen Pressfield, War of Art. Anyone read that book? Fantastic book. Recognizing the resistance. There's going to be resistance to get into alignment. In other words, there's going to be a certain amount of struggle to match up who you are on the inside with who you are on the outside. It's not easy, but once you get into that flow, that's where the power is generated from. You can't generate power from a fractured self. It has to be complete. And so I'll close with this. The only way that you'll be able to come from a position of power in your life is to decide what's important to you, what nurtures you, what's meaningful to you, and to test those values in the real world. To test those values in the real world, not to make your decisions based on what might be for others. And the universe can literally feel, using my quotation fingers, literally feel when somebody with true intention, deep focus, and impeccable follow-through steps up to the plate and she opens up endless opportunities in response. And yes, she is feminine. And in saying that, the future is not a fixed destination in time that you're moving towards, but a fluid and dynamic series of events that moves towards you at the speed of your tension. Now that's paradigm shift. So the only question remains is, are you ready to wield your power? Ah, my friends, I hope that you loved this episode as much as I enjoyed making it for you. Thank you so much for tuning in today to The New Wave Entrepreneur. I hope that you really enjoyed this con- the concepts of pendulums, uh, paradigms, and programs, and just the idea of being able to navigate through these invisible structures and, and looking at them for what they are and realizing that you can navigate in and out of them. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Check out The New Wave Entrepreneur uh, website at newwaveentrepreneur.com. You can see all the updates for all the things that we're working on, that we're hosting, that we're doing. And that is it, guys. The water is warm. The tide is rising. So jump on in. Let's get ready to surf this new wave. I'll catch you on the flip side. Daniel, out.